I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artist, and marketing of art. Next to me is my partner, James Milley, Superfine's other co-founder and our managing partner. We're here today with Mary McBride. Professor Mary McBride is chair of the Arts and Cultural Management and Design Management graduate programs in Pratt's School of Art. She is also executive editor of Catalyst and author of Behavioral Simulations, Case Studies, and Articles. She received her MA and PhD from NYU. Dr. McBride is a well-known executive coach. Mary coaches and consults on innovation and leadership with major organizations worldwide. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate the invite. We're glad to have you here. Now, before we get started, we want to ask you something to help our artists get to know the real Dr. McBride. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And can you tell us a little more about that? My first recollection of art was probably laughing at my mother. I hate to say that. (laughs) Or purchasing for our home in Queens a replica of Plato contemplating the bust of Homer. Gee, I haven't thought about this in a long time. (laughs) And I remember, what is that doing in my living room? She was an immigrant who came with nothing to this country. And I think she had aspirations that were much more aesthetic than I as a child ever had the respect for. So you're making me sad, Alex. Is this the only way to start this? But yes, that is... (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't mean to make you sad. I think it's a wonderful story. And how big of a replica of the sculpture was this? It was a painting. It was a Rembrandt. It was very dark. And I remember thinking it was very large. And I was wondering what my friends were going to think about yet another part of my mother's eccentricity. (laughs) (laughs) You're now grateful, I imagine, for her for bringing that into the house. (laughs) But, you know, you kind of asked me a trick question because I, I, I that was my first understanding of what people call art. But I think what I think of as art was just everywhere around me, even in a row house in Queens. Kind of is the way the eye finds the thing mm-hmm. to appreciate, right? No, absolutely. So, um, and for me, that thing was not something I appreciated. It seemed like an extension of other things that my mother was requiring us to do. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting beginning for our conversation, because I think, unfortunately, a lot of people that we would like to engage in the arts have a feeling that the arts are something for other people. And even as a child, I felt that the arts were always something for me. But the way that that particular framed picture coming as a replica from a museum, I just felt completely excluded from the experience. I didn't feel like I was participating in it. My mom, on the other hand, was very thrilled to have it in the living. (laughs) (laughs) That's what counts at the time, so... Cool. It's a good seg actually into our first question because we talk a little bit about, you know, the intersection between art and business strategy. So you have a background in business strategy, Mary. How is knowing and using the language and maybe the lexicon of business helpful in discussing art in terms of artists' business and them selling their art? I love to talk about the language of business because once upon a time, I was an actor 
uh, off-Broadway, somewhat successful, and wondering how it was that I was going to actually be able to imagine a life for myself going forward. I went to business school. I didn't go to business school as a way of making money or imagining that life going forward. It was sort of a sort of happenstance that I happened to go to business school. But when I graduated from business school, I thought, wow, this is the door I've been standing behind all my life that has gotten in the way of me being as successful as I wanted to be. And I defined success, remember that reference to an Irish immigrant with aspirational appetite, I defined success to include financial independence. So I just love talking about how business and the language of business can enable a person to be more successful. And so here goes, language is language. It's an essential communication tool. Any language that we use structures, facilitates, and actually constrains or encourages our participation in the conversation. So I I heard your introduction of yourself. So if people don't understand the basic language form and they're entering into an exchange relationship, which is what we like to call trading and business, then it's almost like me trying to communicate in Mandarin with, you know, Chinese with 50,000 characters, and I just can't get there. So the language of business is not 50,000 characters. Actually, you could probably, I'm sure the book has already been written, some ridiculous business for dummies language book or something like that. But they're just a couple of key terms that if you understand them and you really understand them, then you have standing in a conversation that you just cannot have without that vocabulary. Very often, we have to be very careful with how we use the language of business. Business actually comes from a medieval English word, meaning to offer comfort or solicitude or solace. I know it gets a different reputation. It becomes to be about all about exchange relationships in the so-called marketplace. But that's not what business is all about. Business, like Chinese characters, has a lot to do with context and relationship. So when we start picking up terms, one of my favorites to talk about, which I won't do here, is scale. When we start picking up these terms from business and we really don't stop to understand what they mean, we can do great personal damage to ourselves and also to the world that we're operating in. I actually have a book coming out with Shubai, who you met a few moments ago, and also Mar and Maya, talking about what we call leading as if life matters. That when you just pick up the business tools and you start to run with them, you might easily have weapons in your hands. I like that thought, Mary. I think that really applies to artists as well, because we're encouraging artists to immerse themselves in the business of selling their art. But also, it's important to unpack that language and those assertions and then actually know what you're doing with it versus just being like, oh, yeah, I need to make money. I'm going to try this thing or that thing, like actually knowing how to use the language and how to apply it, I think is so important. It's ignorant and it's insincere when we pick up a language and we really don't know how to use it. It's like, you know, great pickup lines that go nowhere. (laughs) Cool. All right. I really like that. I think that's really applicable to artists. And I think, you know, like, as you're saying here, just gaining the grasp of how to talk about business, how to talk about relationships, the context of it is just important for artists who are bridging that gap between I'm just an artist and I'm an art entrepreneur. And that kind of leads to my next question for you, which is what are some of the traits that do make a successful art entrepreneur, whether that's an artist or someone who sells art for other people? A sale is essentially an exchange of value. Anybody who goes into the so-called marketplace without understanding 
that what we're doing at core is an exchange of value and is just looking at how to make a sale is going to be a slightly or more definitely less successful entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. I think sometimes focusing on the outcome versus the process can cause a negative effect. I mean, I think it's important to have a goal, right, for any artist or anyone, any entrepreneur out there. And that is your sales goal, but also focusing on how you get there is so important. So that, that's what I would say. Yeah. And your, I would say your sales goal is definitely related to your relational goal. You know, I also, when I talk to people about going in for a job interview, I say the same thing to them. I, I mean, I know this is your dream job. You really want it so much and you think your goal is to get the job. It's only a sub goal, actually. The job is to create a relationship with the person who's interviewing you. It keeps you in their mind for a long time, specifically related to one opportunity, but not only that one opportunity. And I think that's the same thing when we're going into sell any part of what it is that we think we have to offer that might be of value to someone else. You may not get that job. They may offer it to somebody else and that somebody else may turn the job down. They may take the job and after two to four weeks, find out that job is not for them. And then who do they call back? But the other person who impressed them almost as much. So thinking of it as forming a relationship that sticks in someone's mind is so important and applying it to art selling, it's huge because we have artists who will do our fair and they'll expect like, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to sell out my art at the fair. And that happens sometimes. We've had, you know, where the wall is completely empty at the end. But a lot of the time it doesn't because art is a luxury purchase and it's thousands of dollars and people may not just want to fork over their credit card that moment. But building the relationship and having it continue over time via social media, via studio visits, you know, attending other exhibitions with the same artist, often that does turn into a sale long term. But it can be hard to quantify in that, you know, oh, I'm, by Sunday, I'm going to sell everything. But thinking of it as that interim goal of a relationship, I think is so, so important. And you've had the experience, so you can appreciate the importance of that. But surprisingly, a lot of people don't. They get disappointed when the wall doesn't sell. And they get disappointed when they don't get the job that they that they think that they need to get. And they don't understand that part of the reason that might be happening is because they're viewed by the other as a transactional player. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a tricky thing. You don't want to go in there and just please people and make a relationship. And then you never sell. You don't get the job interview. You don't sell the wall. But if you just go in to get what you want, nobody's all that interested in playing with you. Yeah. I agree. Nobody's all that interested in playing with you when it seems like you're just trying to get what you want. I think that's a very good line to take away. What an entrepreneur essentially does is to amplify the value of something that's already existing. They may create something and they may also accelerate something, but they're, they're moving into a space where other people don't see the opportunities and they do see the opportunities. And another thing I think that entrepreneurial mindset is all about is this ability to see where there's a gap between what you want and what I can provide and fill that gap. So I think entrepreneurship is too often misunderstood as I started a business. That's mm -hmm. not how I define it at all. I really define it as a mindset that you take with you into just about every place you go so that you are opportunistically inclined, and I don't mean that, you know, I want to get as much as I can to extract from you, but opportunistically inclined and then, wow, so many possibilities here. 
and so many people are leaving without exactly what they want, I can help fill that gap. If you can do that, then you're entrepreneurial and you are successful. And I don't mean to make that sort of a heroic quest because I don't think anybody does that, including Steve Jobs, all by himself. We do that by saying, well, I found out what Alex wanted or what James wanted. And then I talk to Snow and see, I wonder if we could do that together. And you kind of bubble it around a bit. But once you come up with it, you come up with it and you get a really nice value exchange for all parties. So entrepreneurship artists out there, it's filling the gap between what people want and what you can provide and taking that mindset into everything you do. And I like that you're saying here, Mary, that it's it's not a heroic quest. You're it's a collaborative thing, and it's you know finding out what your you know audience wants, and then also bringing in people that can help you reach them. I think that's a really good way to think about it. There's the no man is an island kind of thing. I mean, there's such it's so true, and I think just bringing the people that can help you reach your audience and also understanding what your audience wants is is really vital and often overlooked. So if you don't mind, Mary, I want to say on to our next question, which is about your experience at Catalyst, where you're the executive editor. And we recommend everyone go out and check out and read some of the articles on Catalyst. The website will be in the show notes. We came across an article about artist mobility and creating opportunities for artists to travel and to grow. This is really important. And what would you say are some of the major ways that artists can work on their mobility for their professional development? I'm a stickler for language, so I would go to what we mean by mobile. And especially, I don't know when your listeners will be hearing this, but in the time of COVID, the girl that loves to get on a plane feels particularly constrained by not being what I would consider to be mobile before COVID. And I mean, look at the experience that we're having now or listen to the experience that we're having now. I think we're beginning to redefine what it means to be able to move around our world. And once upon a time, moving around our world had more to do with television screens and windshields on a car. Now we're in the Zoom room or the Google Meetup or something else. So I think people are finding different ways to do what mobility usually lets us do. And that is to explore the underexplored. So I grew up in Queens. If you've never been there, it might be underexplored territory for you. I feel like it's very explored territory for me. <laughs> but, but, you know, one un, very underexplored territory for me turned out to be me. You know, taking us back to the first question that you asked, I, whenever I feel like I need to grow myself, I try to get on a plane or get on an automobile or get in an automobile or do something, go someplace where I can press, press the refresh button. And as soon as I was not able to do that, I realized that we all do need to get better, I think, at refreshing who we are from the inside out. So I, you know, I'm just sharing that in the time of COVID because I'm fond of quoting V.S. Naipaul, who said, we travel to discover ourselves. That's one of my favorite lines And he goes on to explain it, that when we get to the place that we wanted to get to, nobody knows us, which means I can call myself Marie instead of Mary, which means I can say I'm married or not married. It means I can, you know, say that I have a past history of doing something that I may or may not have a past history of. In short, we're not in that set of stale relationships where everybody expects us to be exactly who we were yesterday. And for any of us who are creative, that is like a death sentence. But I don't need to expect myself to be who I was yesterday either. And I needed to know that. And COVID made that possible. 
Can I just say, Mary, that when this is over, I do want to hang out with you in like Mexico City or somewhere crazy and have you just lie to me and make up stories. Because I think that's a, that's such a cool thing to, to do and just to think that it's possible. And we're, James and I are huge travelers and I, that totally resonates. Like the idea that you can reinvent yourself when you travel, but even more so, and if someone's listening to this way after COVID and they're like, wait, remember COVID five years ago? It's still so relevant to think like, okay, look in the mirror too and you know discover yourself you don't travel's amazing it opens up so many doors but it's like you also can open those doors within yourself and i think that's really neat thank you alex and i think it's also important as you said either pre post or you know during covid because when we are taking ourselves to market which we do because if you're creating something it is a part of yourself it can be shattering that people are putting you in little buckets of whatever it is that they think they need or whatever it is that you think you are, they think you are. So I think it's really important to be a really valorous internal explorer so that you're always looking at the territory of you and the other person does not get to be your primary mirror. Yep. Because it's brutal, you know, I mean, having having gone on many podcast calls in my life, it's like, whoa, I'm definitely, I need to get better at just gaining equilibrium. And I think travel in a way destabilizes, and that's very disruptive and exciting. But there's also that internal journey that allows you to stabilize and realize that there are possibilities inside that haven't yet been explored. This is James jumping in here. I wanted to also give a bit of an anecdote that I think is really relevant here. With Superfine specifically, Alex and I come from different backgrounds, so to speak. So I'm I'm an artist myself. And then Alex, you know, he comes from more of a hospitality background that then transitioned into events, which transitioned into art, which transitioned into an art fair. But earlier on, you know, when we were still surrounded by the same people who had known us for years, they viewed us as what we were before. They The idea of us being art fair directors, even though we were trying to push boundaries, they were still boxing us in as what they were before. And you know what you mentioned about mobility, not just being about literal travel, but it, it can be about exploring the world, redefining yourself, surrounding yourself with different people and not letting them be the ones that define who you are. Now that you know we've expanded to new markets, we've you know surrounded ourselves with some new people, some people we knew before. Um, but now people are seeing us as what we want to currently be seen as because there's sort of this circulation going on. Now it's more the story of what we used to be instead of having to fight to show what we want to currently be seen as and, and known for. That was just something I wanted to add in. James, I think it's important what you said because it's all in the story, right? So we talked about, you know, I can go to Mexico City and say anything that I want about myself. <laughs> but, you know, the stories that we tell, it's the only thing that anybody else ever knows about us. I mean, you know, the story is in the cut of your cloth. The story is in the way you walk. The story is in the way you talk. Everybody's making assumptions about one accent or the other. So for us to be able, I wouldn't say control our story because that just bores me to death. But if we understand ourselves as narrators and we, we're bringing other people in and out of our story, our story is going to change with the types of experiences we have, the people who enter our story. You know, it's, 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 it's a much more modern, modern form than the novel with a predictable ending. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I, I like, you know, what James mentioned a lot about, you know, it was definitely a challenge we face. And I'll, I'll say it here on the podcast, but I, I owned a hot dog restaurant. So many people knew me as that in New York City. 
said, oh, you're the hot dog guy. I'm like, no, 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 I'm the art fair guy now. So that was definitely a challenge we faced. I wanted to kind of bring that into an example also for the artists in our fairs that we've seen where we'll, we'll get artists, let's say they're from Washington, D.C. They'll say, oh, you know, I want to do your Los Angeles fair, but my art doesn't fit Los Angeles. You really have to kind of go there and see and tell your story and be yourself and see if it resonates. You know, obviously there are going to be trends like regional trends, but it's very hard to say like, oh, LA is all like bright plasticky art. They don't, they don't like, you know, black and white charcoal drawings because that actually hasn't been shown to be true in our actual fairs. You kind of have to just, you know, again, self-identify, like really know who you are and what your story is, but then also kind of see how that works with other people that rather than pre- assuming or predetermining what they're going to feel. That's, that's been our experience with it. I would wonder, based on that example that you just provided, if those are predetermined ideas or predetermined defense mechanisms. Because it's kind of crazy, Los Angeles before the fires, Los Angeles after the fires. This part, East L.A. or this part of L.A. Right. It's so self-limiting. I mean, forget about what it says about your understanding of the other. But it's so self-limiting to assume that when you go into a place, you automatically can't be there. I, you know, that's I. You know, as you said, I'm an executive. Somebody said I'm uh, I'm a coach, and one of the things I work very, very deeply on is understanding the routines that we're running in our own heads that really get in our own way. I absolutely agree. I mean, it is a self-limiting thing, and like you know, as you mentioned, LA. Like I'm using that as an example because that actually comes up frequently. But at Los Angeles County is the most populous county in the country. There are people of all walks of life there, that different neighborhoods, different cultures. But we hear that a lot. Like people say, oh, I, my art won't fit in there. So I think it's just something that you know. I think it's really important for artists specifically to keep in mind getting over those self-limiting feelings and being courageous enough to share your work in different places. And if I may, and uh, yeah. stop, stop reifying your work and calling it my art won't fit in there and just saying, you know, I have nothing of value to offer to LA. Mm-hmm. I would really doubt that. Yeah. At a minimum, if they in your fair and create the relationship with you, they're creating a value with you that may not sell off the wall in LA, but might move very nicely to Santa Fe through the relationship with you. But to think, I could never think of myself as a writer, as my writing, or as an actor, as my film. I mean, it is only one thing that I'm capable of doing that brings a certain amount of value. It, you know, if you don't value it, I still did it, and that was kind of fun. I don't want to go, by the way, I don't want to make my living while well, I just had a lot of fun and I'm starving on the street. But I think that there's there's a, more than a middle ground. And we do things because they give us pleasure. They enable us to make meaning. They enable us to contribute something that we value. And think about all the things that we now value from people who for 20 years went undervalued. But what they offered had significance even if they couldn't be understood within their time. So as a professor, what would you tell your students, both international and at Pratt, about how you think that art entrepreneurs could be more strategic to get their work in the hands of the right people? And I imagine that this kind of touches on every previous question we've talked about as well. So go ahead and uh, give us your thoughts there. For me, if you were ever in a classroom with me, you would hear me say strategy is the art of shaping the future in the present moment. That's really what it is. It's a little like karma. You know, if you want an afterlife, why don't you start working on it right now? So I think that people spend way too much time overthinking strategy. You know, I teach strategy so I can overthink it for sure. 
But if you just think of it as an arrow, where am I at now? Where do I want to be? And how do I get there? That's pretty much enough strategy to get you to move a little bit further into your career. I think it really comes down to defining your work and the value our work and the value that it has. And the right people will be the people for whom what we have to offer has value. I look at me and I look at where I am now and where I would like to be. I think of the how I'm going to move me from where I am now to where I want to be is my work. Let's for that for this moment in time, call it my art. So my work is going to move me from where I am now to where I want to be. Well, I know how I'm going to get there, but I also know that I'm going to need some help along the way. So who are the intermediaries? Who are the interceptors? Who are the amplifiers? Who are the people who along the way say, you know, that's a pretty cool piece of work. I think I'm going to introduce you to Alex. I think he's going to introduce you to James. They're going to introduce you to Mary. And then you get what people too blithely call the multiplier effect. But what I would simply say, fans, followers, and friends are the people who do the job for and with you. There's so many great things in what you just said, Mary. I mean, the work being what takes you from where you are to where you want to be. And that resonates with me for sure. And people call the multiplier effect, but it's your fans, followers, and friends doing the work for you to get your work, in, You know, whether it's your artwork or your life's work, whatever it may be, in front of the people. The way you're taking apart sentences here, first of all, I think is, is brilliant, but the right people, instead of just having that term, oh, the right people, what is it, rich people? No, it's the people for whom what you do has value. Uh, if I got that correct, I think that's a really great way to think about who your audience is versus pulling it from thin air. I think some people get themselves to this place that they have rather arbitrarily defined as success and then they find themselves surrounded with all the right things, all the right amount of money and all the in quotes right people with an inside hole that is acidic. And I think the right things are always the things that give us meaning. And by the way, I told you my background is, you know, my mother had aspirations for me and I still have them for me. I am not limiting myself to not think about economic value creation. It's very important to me. If you use your work to create economic value at the expense of everything you are, that is not success. That is the mess of success. The mess of success. I love it. And I'm sure that resonates with some people out there. I know it resonates with me. Artists meditate about that. Do you want to be in the mess of success or do you want to be prioritizing the things that actually matter to you? I think that's wonderful. This has been an amazing chat, Mary. We're coming up towards the end of it. And we always ask our guests just for one more top word of advice that you have for an artist out there who's really just considering taking that plunge, diving deeper into their buzzword here, strategy for marketing their art. It's the work that comes of your own hands, your own hearts, and your own imagination. And when you know the vital, important value of that work to you, then it's easier to set an intention because all strategy begins with setting intention. When you know the vitality and the value of that work to you, then one can set an intention to say, my intention is to do something. 
And that really is how we create a strategy. You create an intention to do something. So here it comes, my lecture on strategy connected to power. Set an intention, take the actions necessary to put that intention into play. Find out, look in the mirror and find out where it is that you were more or less successful in taking those actions and shore up your abilities. Maybe you're not such a good networker and you needed to create a better network of people who could help you move your work forward. That's an ability you can shore up. Maybe you actually have to learn the Chinese language if you're going to try to bring your work to Shanghai. That's an ability you're going to need to work on. So, so far, we're intention plus action plus ability to affect. Okay, so I set my intention. I took the actions. I checked my abilities to see where it is that I had strengths and stretch steps. And then I checked my goal. So I didn't cheat. I got, didn't get my work into LA if my goal was to get my work into the New York art market. I go back and I say, well, okay, I got into LA. Let me reset my intention. I really want to get to New York. What actions do I need to take? What abilities do I need to have? And I work on that formula. Here's the bummer, okay? When I ask people, where are you losing power in your strategy? Some will say, I'm not really good at setting an intention. I keep changing my mind all the time. Some will say, well, I set my intention, but you know, I never quite get around to taking the necessary actions. You set the intention, you take the actions, you use your abilities to affect, to reach your goals. And here is where the crash comes against resistance. because. There was COVID, and even though you set your heart on LA, and even though you put invested your money into getting that show up, damn, you can't get on the plane. You can't get there. You were so close. You had every part of Mary's formula, and you were still stopped. Resistance. So the last part of the formula is expected. It's life. It's gravity. It comes with the territory. When the resistance hits, that's a great opportunity not to reset your intention, begin to doubt every single ability that you have, but in fact, to begin to get really, really creative and say, what do I do with the creative tension that I think of as resistance? I love that. The intention first, action, and then the ability and then the effect, but also expecting the resistance because it is going to come, whether it's COVID, whether it's anything. I mean, we never know what will happen. The, the really dangerous thing out there is just going to happen on a random Tuesday at 4 p.m. when you're not expecting it. So knowing that something's going to come up, there's going to be resistance and expecting to overcome it and come up with new creative ways, I think is so, so important. If you're listening to this out there today, remember, I mean to listen and re-listen to this again. Mary's been here with us today, dropping incredible perspective and advice for all of you. Honestly, I want to take Mary's course. I want to buy her book. So I would suggest doing that. You can find Mary via email or via Instagram, which we'll share those in the show notes. Mary, thank you so much for being here. As always, everybody, remember that we're Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for our fairs, how to exhibit in 21 or, or 22, um, you can drop us a line at Artists Making Money at superfine.world. That's artists making money at superfine.world. As always, I would like to end this show by sharing a quick quote with you all. And the quote is, stopping advertising to save money is like stopping your watch to save time. And that's by Henry Ford. Mary, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. I'm going to go back and listen to this episode for sure. 
Everyone else, please have a great rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your business plan, get out there and make it happen for yourselves. Thank you again, Mary. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, James. Thank you, audience. I much appreciate it. Bye. We've been loving your feedback and are so glad that you are finding the podcast helpful. If you have a spare minute, we would love if you reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the Artist Business Plan. It really helps other artists discover the podcast who are also looking to level up their careers. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, Join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.